I want you to turn with me this morning to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. I'm going to continue. I've actually been uh, students. I've actually been in a, a, this series, but it's okay. You can hook up with me right now. And we have people flowing in and people flowing out. This church is not a fishery pond. It's more like a river. And so, uh, you know, maybe some people are hearing this message for the very first time. Maybe some of you, you know, are going to to wish me a Merry Christmas when I shake your hand. But we're so glad you're all here today, and I'm sure God will help you. Before we go to the scripture, let's pray together. Let's believe God together. We didn't come here to tickle your ear. We came here to feed your soul. Let's pray together. Father, in the matchless, mighty, awesome name of Jesus, we approach your word with all reverence and expectation. And we ask you to speak to our hearts and lead us in the direction where we should go. I pray, Father, that not one of us would leave here unsatisfied, unfulfilled, unchanged. I believe today, Father, the transforming power of your word is strong enough, strong enough to move us from a place of despair to everlasting hope. I believe knowing, Father, that if you raise the dead, you can resurrect even our failed dreams and our shattered hopes. We believe today, Father, that you will give us something that we can take with us wherever we go. And we give you praise and glory and honor for it. In the name of Jesus, someone shout amen. Let me read to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Now the phrase how you ought to walk and to please God is not referring to two things, but one thing. One translation, NIV says, how to live, and that's what we mean by walk, right? How to live in order to please God. So God watches our walk, right? How we conduct ourselves in this world does matter to him. Amen? Glory to God. And uh, notice this scripture. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, very familiar to us, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Amen. Now, you may claim to believe many things, but what you do, especially what you repeatedly do, is what you really believe. Let me say that again. You may claim to believe many things, but what you do is what you really believe. So God is not pleased by fake faith or pretended faith, but by real faith. Can I get an amen? So faith that does not affect your lifestyle isn't faith at all. It's just a, a religious uh, theory. It's just interesting after dinner talk, but it's not real. Hallelujah. So now every Christian should desire what God desires. Our affections, our desires, our hopes should be aligned. Someone said, if you want what God wants for the same reason he wants it, you are unstoppable. Can I get an Amen. How do we please God? Let's look at this scripture. 3 John verse 4, the third epistle of John in verse 4 says this, I have no greater joy. Think about this. I have no greater joy than to hear, or in other words, to know that my children are walking in the truth. Now see, that's not just John the apostle speaking that's the Holy Spirit speaking through him. This is scripture. This is the heart of God. Amen. So in other words, it makes our father 
glad when we hold fast to his word. You want to please God? Live the word. Breathe the word. Believe the word. Do the word. Let your life be governed by the word. Be a word man, word woman. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But on the other hand, how it must pain him when we disregard what, we has, what he has said. Come on. Hallelujah. You know, the reason he feels this way one way or the other is because he loves us so much. Think about it. If someone you don't even care about ignores you, and some of you are doing that right now, but it's okay. If someone you don't even care about ignores you, well, that doesn't especially bother you. Little boy down the street, the sub walla didn't even look up when you said, uh, come on, I say, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't really end your life. You know, you can sleep peacefully that night, but it's those who are closest to you who can hurt you the most. See, not only can we, not only can we, as believers, as the family of God, not only can we bring the greatest joy to God's heart, we can also bring the greatest distress to his heart. Are you out there today? Hallelujah. So what that tells me is when you make the conscious decision to live to please God, that shifts our focus from self to the Savior. See, when, 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 this is, when this is the motivating, driving force in your life to please God, that, that causes you to lift your eyes up. I'm not just dwelling on myself. I'm thinking about him. I don't just live to make myself happy, which is how 99.9% .9 of all people live. What makes me happy? What I feel like doing? I like this. I don't like this. I want to do this. I don't want to do that. But now there's a change. Now I'm considering what will make God happy. Amen? Now please understand me. Know this. We don't endeavor to please God to get saved. We do so because we are saved. Hallelujah. And we don't try, we don't make the effort to please God in order that he will love us. He already loves you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more than he does right now. But because we love him, we want to also be pleasing to him. If you love someone, you will try to please that person. Can I get an amen? Amen. Sound man turned their volume up. I hardly heard them that time. Can I get an amen? amen? We're talking about pleasing him. Notice the scripture, Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Colossians 3:20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Isn't it interesting? When I was growing up, this was not my favorite verse. Now that I'm married with children, I like it more and more. Do you find that true in your life too? If God is pleased when earthly children obey their parents, see, he said this pleases the Lord. If God is pleased when earthly children obey their parents, it stands to reason, makes sense, that he is pleased when children of God obey their heavenly Father. A life that pleases God is a life of obedience. You don't seem terribly excited about this. Maybe, maybe you're just uh, processing this information. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. Obedience is not a bad word. <clears throat> it's a good word. Jesus said, I know, Father, I know that you are always with me because I always do the things that please you. See, many people want to do the works of Christ, 
but they don't have the submission of Christ. They want the anointing of Christ, but not the attitude of Christ. But it doesn't work that way. They go together. Amen. Jesus said, the Bible said, sorry, the Bible says, if you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Are you listening to me? Oh, it's too quiet in here. You all, how many of you are born again? Can I see your hand? Can I give the altar call right now? Okay. How many of you believe the Bible is good news? Can I see your hand? Okay. How many of you are alive? You're breathing. The blood is pumping. Can I hear some noise? Make a joyful noise in the house today. All right. It helps me to know that I'm not speaking to a photograph. Amen. Pleasing God is a life of obedience. Now, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, says essentially the same thing. He says, Paul says, for this is right. But then Paul reminds us of the commandment, honor your father and mother. So not just obey, but he says, now honor your father and mother. So obedience is an action but honor is an attitude that inspires action. So in other words, pleasing God, living a life that pleases God, is not just something we do with our body. It also involves our heart and our soul. See, we can see what you did, but God can see why you did it. We can hear your words, but God can hear your thoughts. And see, the church world as a whole is famous for looking good, but not being good. And a lot of people are more concerned about how they appear in the eyes of society than how they really are in the eyes of God. More pe more, many people are more afraid of being embarrassed in public than they are concerned about what God thinks of them. I, I'd rather the whole world, you know, uh, turns on me, rejects me, but I have the smile of heaven than to have the accolades of all men, but God's not happy with me. And after all, you didn't die for me. You didn't go to the cross for me. You didn't, you didn't go to hell for me. Huh? You, you weren't raised from the dead for me. You don't ever live to intercede for me. That's something he did. He died for me so that I could live for him. Not live for myself, but live for him. So if you like me, that's fine. But if you don't like me, that's also fine because there's someone greater who loves me with an everlasting love. Can I get an amen again? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So it stands to reason that the one you should please the most is the one who loves you the most, the greatest one in your life. Hallelujah. Now, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, it's actually an indictment against Israel. It's quoting from the book of Isaiah. But it says this, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So we don't want that to be true of us, right? It's not enough to say prayers or to sing songs or to attend meetings. We must earnestly seek for him with all of our hearts. The life that pleases God hungers for him. Come on, let me say that again, because your, your gel pen is still in your pocket. I said, the life that pleases God hungers for him. Come on. Blessed are those who hunger, Jesus said. Blessed are those who hunger. They have desire, strong desire. You know, hunger is kind of an interesting thing. We can tell when you're hungry, or should I say hangry. It's not a secret when people are hungry. They'll let you know. And it's amazing how they can stop everything when they're hungry and get some food. 
Their stomach is talking to them. Some of your stomachs are talking right now. <laughs> Amen. But if we have that same kind of intense desire for more of God, life would be different for us and life would be different for everyone that comes in contact with us. And here's the good news. You can cultivate an appetite for more of God. You know, you know it's interesting, and I wouldn't say I know this by experience, but if you stop eating long enough, and this is what they tell me, if you stop eating long enough, you eventually kind of lose your appetite altogether. It sounds funny, but at first you're hungry, but if you keep on going, you, you know, your stomach shrinks, and you know, once again, this is something I only dream about, but your stomach shrinks, and then you, you kind of don't even want to eat anything. You know, if you're away from the things of God long enough, it, it sort of sours in your mouth. Like, yeah, church. See, the problem about missing church is after a while, you don't miss it. Ah, yeah. We're going to have service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pray tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you lose your appetite. And see, you know, physically, when you have lost your appetite, that is a worrying symptom. That, means there's, that could mean something's wrong with you. People have, you know, cancer, tumors, you know, maybe they don't have an appetite anymore. That's a worrying concern. Spiritually, when Christians lose their hunger for God, that tells me their heart is sick. In other words, that's not normal. That's not normal. But I said, you can cultivate an appetite. So actually, in this service today, I'm not trying to feed you for the whole week. I'm trying to give you an appetizer. The worship and the word, we're trying to, to stir up a, a, a renewed hunger. Yeah, I, I want more of that. I want more of the reality of God in my heart. Amen. So that means pleasing God may require making fine-tuned adjustments in your attitude. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, do I have to stop again and get you all pumped up? Hallelujah. Come on, church members. Hallelujah. Come on, staff members. Hallelujah. Come on, I pay your salary. Hallelujah. getting there. So again, if, if God is pleased when natural children obey their natural parents, their earthly parents, how much more is he pleased when we obey him? But then the word also says honor. Honor your father and mother. Well, we should honor our heavenly father. So if we are serious about pleasing God, and I think you probably are because you wouldn't come here this morning if you weren't interested at all, I suppose right? Unless your boyfriend dragged you or something like that. If you're serious, your mother dragged you here. If you're serious about pleasing God, then honor must be a big deal to you. Honor. That, that must loom large in our thinking. That's not a minor thing. Like, yeah, you know, it's major. See? The life that pleases God is a life of honor. I said the life that pleases God is a life of honor. In other words, you can't continue being the rascal that you are. You crafty little fellow. Boy, he's shifty. Woo, clever. Clever like the devil. No, 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 no. You have to live honorably in the sight of all men and in all things endeavor to honor God. So that means honor is a compass in your life. It will tell you, I can't do that. That's not the right way because that's dishonoring. In other words, having integrity, being honest is an indicator of a life that is determined to please God. Like when it's actually not to your advantage, you'd make a quick buck if you were dishonest. 
You, you'd get promoted if you didn't have integrity, if you played the game that people play, if you engage in all of the office politics and all of that type of stuff, you might advance, but without the honor of God in your life. So you say, no thanks. In other words, there's a lot of in other words in this sermon. In other words, the deal is not so much how you behave in the sanctuary. Because, I mean, nobody here pulls out a joint and starts puffing away on pot while I'm preaching. So far, that's never happened, and I hope it won't happen today. It's how you behave in the office. It's how you conduct yourself in the marketplace, in the classroom, in the street. Somebody said, God doesn't care how high you jump on Sunday. He wants to see how straight you walk on Monday. Anybody here today? Hallelujah. And so our scripture text that we began with reminds us that we should endeavor to please God more and more. More and more. We are, I'll say we are God pleasers. I said we are God pleasers in this house today. Am I right about that? But we should endeavor to please him more and more. So it's not a box that you tick. You know, it's not a, it's not a, a, a yes or no question. It's a scale. I'm pleasing God, but on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you? Wherever you are, let's move it forward a little bit. Let's go up a couple of notches. Hallelujah. So in the past, we may have honored God incidentally. Just without much thought, it just, just sort of happened that way, and that's fine. But now we need to be intentional. Now we need to be more intentional. We need to consider more carefully our attitude toward God and the things of God. Hallelujah. And the reason I say that is because we live... Increasingly, we live in a casual culture. Now, that's definitely true concerning Western countries, and it's been that way for a long time. But it's becoming more and more prevalent even in Asia. Maybe, maybe not to the extent that, that it's happening there, but still it's, it's something we need to consider. We live in a very casual culture, and when I, when I say that, I don't mean that we should be all super formal and uptight. But what I mean is we need to see the value of honor. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to see the value of honor. I mean, in the world, it's not cool to show honor. That's like, geez. And being reverent, and I'm talking about toward the things of God, toward the Lord. Being reverent seems to be out of step with the times. But the Bible tells me in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, and I love the message Bible here, it says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Let me read that again. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture. Would that include the Naga culture? Aloshe. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture, that you fit into it without even thinking. That means we need to continually examine what we are doing compared to God's Word. We need to have our minds renewed with the Word. We need to continually realign our thoughts with God's thoughts, His Word. Now, in our church, for example, our music has changed over the years. And, and we may be singing in a more modern style. Our clothing, at least the way I'm dressed today, may be more relaxed than, you know, 1995 or something like that. And we may utilize the latest electronic gadgets. But don't be confused by that. Reverence for God never goes out of fashion. It is timeless and it is eternal. Can I get a nod? 
Let's start there. Let's go. Let's, let's try the nods. Can, can I get a nod? Oh, I'm seeing some heads bobbing. Oh, look at that. Somebody just got healed. Okay, praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, honor is a big deal if we're going to be God-pleasers. It is true. It is true that the Holy Spirit brings us into close fellowship with the Father. But balance that by never forgetting who your Father is. It's interesting, in the book of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 6, the Lord said to Israel, and it's certainly applicable even more so to us, the Lord said, if then I am a father, where is my honor? In other words, you know, you keep, you keep saying, I'm your father, I'm your heavenly father. Well, then shouldn't you honor me? That's what he's saying, right? Catherine Kuhlman was an amazing woman of God. Are there women of God? Oh, yeah, we have some in this room today. Hallelujah. Catherine Kuhlman was an amazing woman of God. And there were miracles in her ministry, tremendous miracles in her ministry. And yet she said something very interesting. She said, I'm concerned, I'm paraphrasing, I'm concerned that we are in danger of becoming too familiar with God. We are in danger of becoming too familiar with God, which seems like a contradiction considering that she experienced intimacy with God's Spirit. See? But the point is, to please God, we should never lose that sense of wonder in Him. To please the Lord, we should never lose that sense of wonder in Him. Let me explain. As you get to know some people better, over a period of time, there can be a tendency to lose interest in that person. Have you ever experienced that before? You know, when you, when you, when you, when you, when you get, when you, when you're with them behind closed doors, you see their imperfections. And the closer you get sometimes, the less you are impressed. Like, yeah. But that's never true concerning God. As for the Lord, his way is perfect. And there's nothing ordinary or ho-hum or run-of-the-mill about living for God. Today, you may be bored with your Christian life. You may be bored with church. It may all seem so predictable and so routine, but there is nothing blasé about God. He never gets old. There's always more to him. There's always more grace. There, grace piled upon grace. There's always further revelation. His mercies are new every morning. He is always awesome. He's always amazing. And if you are not impressed with who God is, you haven't been in his presence lately. Hallelujah. The ancient Jewish scribes who copied the scriptures by hand had tremendous respect for God. In fact, they would wipe their pen clean and wash their entire body before they wrote the word Yahweh, or we would sometimes say Jehovah, out of respect. And they did this every time they wrote that word. So you can imagine one verse might mention the word Lord or Yahweh several times. That's three baths in one verse. Some of y'all haven't taken three baths in a week. They did that out of reverence for the Lord. Hallelujah. Meanwhile, we have some folks today who refer to God as their sky daddy. Yeah, 
hang in with my sky daddy today. Well, what's wrong with that? I mean, isn't that saying the same thing as Heavenly Father? It is, minus the honor, which is the most important part. If I'm a father, where's my honor? It's interesting, the Jewish scribes, in fact, even today, whenever they read the scriptures, like in the synagogues, when they saw the Hebrew word Yahweh, again, Jehovah, Though it says Jehovah, they never spoke Jehovah out loud. Instead, they used another Hebrew word, Adonai. And they still do that today, many Orthodox Jews. Though it says Yahweh in, in the scripture, as they're reading it, no, there, there are the letters there, Yahweh, but they would say out loud, Adonai. Why? Adonai means Lord, but it's a title. Yahweh is God's name. Because when Moses said, well, what's your name? He said, I am who I am, and I am is Yahweh. And the reason they did not say Yahweh out loud is they, they reasoned it's not appropriate, it's not respectful for children to call their father by his first name. I mean, years ago, my, my daughter you know, came up to me and she said, hello, John. I said, hello, little girl. In other words, if you're going to treat me like a stranger, I'm going to treat you like a stranger. See, the, my point is this, not that you can't say the word Jehovah. My point is this, there was a lot of reverence they had for God, and I think we've lost that. I think we've lost that. Hallelujah. Anything that attempts to diminish God's glory is devilish. That, that kind of thought like, hey, take it, you know, be cool. Just, you know, kind of relax. Just, just treat it like, you know, ordinary. That didn't come from heaven. It may seem cute and it may seem clever, but nowhere does the Bible say be cute. But it does say be holy. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. And you know, I, maybe in my message, sometimes there's elements of humor. Evidently, not this morning. But, but, you know, maybe sometimes in my message there are elements of humor. But don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean I don't take the things of God seriously because we do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And it's interesting how some people who have almost no exposure to the Word and have little experience with the Holy Spirit, it's amazing how some of those people have more respect for the things of God than some Rhema people, than some Word of Faith people, than some flaming charismaniacs. Hallelujah. I'm going to invite the praise and worship team not to sing, but just to say amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I, I was raised Presbyterian. Shall I say it? Shall I say it? No? 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 God's frozen people. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Lakshmi. I had to say it. And the thing is, our church... Now, maybe yours is not like this. I hope it's not. But our church, at least when I was a boy, our church was very dry, super dry, uber dry, you know. I mean, nobody in our church ever, like, raised their hand to praise the Lord. If you raised your hand, the, the pastor would think you're asking a question. Yes? <laughs> if he was preaching and somebody said amen, everybody would turn and look. We have a fanatic among us. <laughs> so we, we knew almost nothing about the Holy Spirit. I mean, we know in, on paper. We believe in the Holy Spirit in paper, but not in the pew. But they had a respect for the things of God that some people don't have. Amen. We had some people recently 
Brother Lloyd knows this. We had some people recently just walk on the church property and steal the, the taps, the, the faucets from our sinks. Because Nagaland's a Christian state, of course. <laughs> I guess they were looking for that living water. I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But, but, I mean, even though we were Presbyterian, super dry church, we would never dream of doing a thing like that. that. That would never in a million years occur to us to do something like that. And my parents, when I was a boy growing up, their greatest fear in life was that the pastor would visit them. I remember many times as a boy, the phone ringing, my mother putting the, the receiver down. We had landlines. I don't know if you understand what that means. We put the phone down. And my mother said, and the pastor's name was Dr. Johnson, the first pastor. Doctor said, Dr. Johnson's on his way. Man, there was like terror in her eyes. Even my father, the blood drained from his face. And suddenly they had to clean up everything. I mean, it, you know, if there, they were, the biggest fear was Dr. Johnson would find a beer can in the sofa. <laughs> yeah, rightly so. You know, man, they, they, you know, we all change, we had to change our clothes. You would think Moses is coming to visit us. And, and I mean, they, they know nothing of the word, nothing. But they had more respect for the things of God than some people who supposedly know a lot. Come on, don't look so sad just because I'm talking about you this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's move on. We better move on, Pastor John. Please move on. All right, I'll move on. Notice Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. We quoted it earlier. He says, honor your father and mother. But then Paul adds this. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Well, we're not under the law. Yeah, I got that, but if it's totally irrelevant, why mention it? It must be relevant, right? So if honoring your parents has something to do with things going well with you and your days being extended in the earth, who can argue that honoring God will affect your health and how long you live in the earth? Come on. In other words, knowledge is not a substitute for honor. Some people just want more and more knowledge, more and more, more and more. Hear another sermon, go to another conference. But their problem is not knowledge. Their problem is attitude. Look at your neighbor and try to guess what kind of attitude he has right now. Don't tell him. Just look at his face. And if he looks like he's so angry, you know the answer to that question. Honoring God will certainly impact your life. It makes a difference. How many of you here want to have things go well with you? I hear Pastor Jeppy. Okay, I'm glad for that. How many of you want to live long, live a long life? Well, honoring your heavenly father has something to do with that. Amen. And when I see my children, I'm going to also remind them about the other part, honoring your, your earthly father. Now, I'm going to go a little deeper. I just have a few minutes left. Actually, I have more than a few, but I'm saying that to encourage you. So notice... <laughs> Some of you keep glancing back at the back door. No, no, just keep your eyes here. <laughs> Don't jump out of the plane before I land, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30 says this. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty. 30. That, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Wow. That is why, Paul said, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Now, in the Greek language, it indicates many of you have infirmities. You are sickly. 
You, you, are, you are never in good health. You are constantly in poor health. And the clear indication of this verse is it shouldn't be that way. Something's wrong. So in other words, if Christians are always in poor health, that's not right. It shouldn't be that way. Something's wrong somewhere, right? And all believers are eventually going to die. That's not what he means. He means they died prematurely. Their life was cut short. Or in other words, they, were, they did not recover from their infirmities and their illness. And notice he also said, many of you. So this is not an issue with just, you know, a handful or a few people. This was a large section of the entire congregation of the church at Corinth. I don't know how many people that is, but it's, it's quite a few, I suppose. So the question is, he said, this is why many of you are weak and sickly and some have died prematurely. Well, why? What is the reason? Well, you have to read the verse before this one. Verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. He's talking about communion in this passage, this, this chapter. And Paul is reprimanding them. He's, he's criticizing them for the way in which they participate in the Lord's Supper. And he said, the problem is you don't discern the Lord's body. To discern means to see and recognize or to know the true value of something, to go beyond the surface, beyond the external things. So the, the Corinthians partook of communion in a frivolous manner because they did not see the significance of what they were doing. And that's why a lot of people died. Wow. That's why a lot of them were sick. That's interesting. But I want to go a step further for some of the deep sheep. There's more, in my, in my, in my mind, there's more going on than meets the eye in this verse. Let me explain this to you, and you can just consider this. These people in Corinth, before Paul came and preached to them, they were idol worshipers. And in my opinion, they were celebrating the Lord's Supper as if it was the Feast of Bacchus. The Feast of Bacchus. That was a popular festive banquet in, in honor of a Roman god, obviously false god, a Roman god of wine and fertility. It was a popular uh, pagan festival, the Feast of Bacchus. And the Feast of Bacchus uh, was uh, synonymous with drunkenness and debauchery. The word, the word almost means debauchery, going wild and crazy, pagan revelry and lewd behavior. So during this, this pagan festival, honoring a god called Bacchus, it was like madhouse. They did all kinds of crazy and you know, immoral things. And so what it appears is this, that the Corinthians, who are new believers, adopted something from God by linking it to something that was not of God. See, they did not reject the old and then embrace the new. Instead, they tried to merge them together. And there's a term for that. It's called syncretism, syncretism. I'll give you another example. This is something that displeases God. 
I'll give you another example. When Moses was on Mount Sinai, the Israelites became impatient. I think you know the story. And so Aaron, to satisfy them, took gold, their gold earrings and that rings, and he put it in the fire and he fashioned a golden calf to worship, right? But here's an interesting point. In Exodus 32, verse 5, Aaron announced to the people of Israel, he made this golden calf so they can worship it. They're going to have like a festival. But Aaron announced to the Israelites in Exodus 32, verse 5, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And again, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh. See, he didn't say we've changed our gods. We're no longer worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're, we have a new God. He didn't say that. He said, we're just going to worship the old God in a new way. Where did they get this idea to worship a golden calf? None of their forefathers did that. Where did they get that idea? They got it from Egypt where they grew up where they had lived for hundreds of years. So they were worshiping God the Egyptian way. You see? Hmm? And obviously, God was not pleased with this because God is unique. He cannot be compared to anyone else. You can choose him, you can reject him, but you can't change him. And it's not for us to tell God how we'd like to worship him. It's for him to tell us how he'd like to be worshipped. We are not worshipping a God that we have created. We are worshipping a God that has created us. Hallelujah. One step further, one step further. In the first century... When Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians, one of the most popular cults in the ancient world was the worship of the goddess Artemis. Artemis was called the queen of heaven. In fact, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 19 that there was this uh, tumultuous, horrendous riot that took place in the city of Ephesus. Because the local craftsmen were afraid if people keep accepting the gospel that Paul is preaching, we'll be out of business. No one is going to buy our statues, you see. But fast forward from Acts 19, fast forward 300 years later, actually more than that, 300 years later, Christianity, instead of being severely persecuted by the Roman Empire is now the official religion of the Roman Empire. With the first Christian Roman emperor, well, there was, um, there was one and then there was another. And so it's people understood, hey, if the emperor claims to be a Christian, we need to convert too. It would be advantageous for us to do that. But they were Christian in name only. They did not really know Christ. They were not evangelized. They were quote unquote Christianized. Well, they did not want to give up the worship of Artemis because it's so much a part of their culture. So what they did was they rebranded her as Mary. They rebranded her as Mary. There's nothing in the scriptures, absolutely nothing in the Bible to suggest that Mary, the mother of Christ, was deity. In fact, Mark chapter 3 and verse 31 tells us at one point, at one point during Jesus' ministry, Mary and the other sons tried to arrest Jesus. Read it, Mark 3.31, because they said he's out of his mind. See, they, they didn't believe in him. And then while Jesus was teaching one day, 
Someone in the crowd said, blessed is the womb that bore you. But Jesus responded, no, rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So he put down that whole idea that she somehow, you know, semi-God or, or, or maybe, you know, a demigod. That's, that's not true. And the idea of putting statues in a church was absolutely unthinkable to these early believers because they were Jewish. And they knew very well their forefathers went into captivity because of idolatry. There's no way in the world they were going to do that. You see, that's trying to blend light with darkness. That's compromising to appease the culture. That's wrong. Are you listening to me? God wants us to walk in the truth of his word. He does not want us to redefine it to appease the world. Are you listening to me? Ah, time is up. Oh, boy. I'll have to go real quickly. I'll just take maybe a couple of minutes. But I want to give you one more verse because I think I want to end on a higher note. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. 1 John 3, 22. I'll go quickly. Notice this verse. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Whatever we ask, meaning ask in prayer, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Often the reason our prayers are not answered is not because of the prayer itself. Often. Not because of the prayer itself, but because of the person praying. Now, does that mean that we have to go back under the Old Testament law to have our prayers answered? No, no. Notice the next verse, verse 23. And this is his commandment. He said, keep his commandments. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. So if we put these two verses together, 22 and 23, we'll see that answered prayer requires three vital elements, three significant ingredients. Number one, believe in the name of Jesus. And that means you must be saved. The blind man in John 9.31 said, we know that God does not hear sinners. See, but not only that, we must continue to put our faith in him. We must continue to believe his word. Effective prayer is believing prayer based on the promises of God. Number two, love one another. Jesus commanded us in John 13, 34 to love as he has loved. So that means how you treat other people has something to do with your prayers being answered. Peter was writing to Christian husbands in 1 Peter 3, 7, and he instructed men to live in an understanding way toward your wife. You're going to need God's help to do that because none of us understand our wives, but, but the Holy Spirit will help you. Men don't understand women. Adam was asleep when God made Eve. And then he says to give honor to the wife, and all the women are suddenly waking up. I might get a few amens now. He said to give honor to your wife. I got one. Not the one I was looking for. Give honor to your wife. Come on, some husbands better say amen. You're going you're to sleep on the floor tonight. Give honor to your wife as to the weaker vessel. Physically, she's weaker. Not spiritually. spiritually. Spiritually, she can wrestle you and pin you to the ground. But physically, she might be weaker. Hallelujah. And notice why you should give honor to your wife. He says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Can the Christian wives say amen to that? Amen. I should have began with this scripture. I made a mistake. <laughs> amen. See, how you treat other people 
Even your wife has something to do with God listening to your prayer. Amen. And then number three, do what pleases him. Now, see, there's been a great emphasis in our day over the past uh, several years of knowing the word and confessing the promises. And that's good and rightly so. But we must not only talk the talk, we must walk the walk. If we want to have effective prayers, we must live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, some Christians at this point, they say, well, hey, pastor, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't chew. You know, uh, uh, I, I don't do drugs. So I'm good. Well, that's commendable. Yes, wonderful. But notice verse 22 says, and do what pleases him. It doesn't say, and don't do what displeases him. The emphasis is not on avoiding the negative, which, sure, that's good. But the emphasis on doing the positive. Are you out there today? One more scripture. I promise. <laughs> Let me just check my notes here. Well, almost, I promise. Hebrews 13, 16 says this. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For with such sacrifices, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Believe, love, please God. Well, here's a verse that says, when you share with others, when you give to those in need, those are sacrifices that you make that are pleasing to God. Could it be that some people, their prayers are not effective, they never reach higher than the ceiling because they're self-centered and stingy people? How many stingy people are here? Raise your hand right now. I see so many hands in the spirit realm. <laughs> when God speaks to us, we, we should not close our hearts. I believe we should be discerning. We have professional beggars. We have con men, all kinds of things going on. But when you know in your heart, I could and I should help that person, don't turn away. Because with those sacrifices, well, somebody needs a ride home from the service. Uh, and you're like, well, I just, I got a car here and I got seats. Where do you live? Putum Pukri. Oh, glory. That's not where I'm going. But with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. That means pleasing God will cost you something. You've been living, some have been living the convenient pleasure of God. But now more and more. It's going to cost you. There's going to be some sacrifices. I was a student in the university. I'm going to close because I'm getting ready to land right now, just like I told you earlier. I was a student in the university. And um, on the television, there was a program about a Christian organization uh, that ministered to the poor all over the world. And as I watched this program, my heart was touched. And I decided to sponsor a child each month so much money. And the funny thing is, I didn't even have a full-time job. I, had a little, I worked a few hours in the school library. And other than that, you know, I'd have n virtually no money at all. And I was thinking, this is crazy. I should call them and tell them, can you sponsor me, right? You know, but, uh, but <laughs> so, you know, I, I pledged to do that. And you know, the thing is, somehow the money was always there. And then they contacted me and said, you know, about a, a, a year or two later, in fact, I was in Bible school, I think. They contacted me later and they said, can you sponsor a second child? And something inside me said, Yes, you can. And so I said, I said, yes, I will. And I did that all the time, all throughout the time that I was a student in college, which was four years, in Bible school, which was two years. In fact, they eventually contacted me and said, you don't need to sponsor these children anymore. They're okay now. They don't need your help. I've never been in lack in Nagaland. 
I've never, I've never skipped a meal. You can look at me and tell that, right? I've never, <laughs> don't laugh too hard, okay? <laughs> I've never, you know, not had a place to sleep. And God's provided for me royally. He's abundantly provided for, for my needs. And I think part of the reason why is because God was pleased with that sacrifice. And see, we receive from him because we believe, we love, and we do what is pleasing in his sight.